for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 108, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is Rebecca Gregory. Rebecca is a well-known motivational speaker and founder of Rebecca's Angels Foundation. She's a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. Rebecca eventually had to have her left leg amputated because of the damage caused by the blast. Her memoir, titled Taking My Life Back, was released in 2017. The same year, Rebecca started her own nonprofit, Rebecca's Angel Foundation, which assists families, especially children, living with mental illness or healing from a previous trauma. Rebecca and her husband, Chris, reside in Florida with their two children, Noah and Riley. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. And remember, Please don't just download the episodes, click on the subscribe button, because then you'll be joining my parenting revolution, and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. Also, not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today and don't miss a single episode. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 108. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation that I had with Rebecca Gregory. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It really is an honor to speak with you. um, And I'm really excited for our audience to hear you. Oh, the honor is mine. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. You have an unusual story, a very painful story. Um, And back in April 15th, 2013, you were watching the Boston Marathon with your son. Can you take us back to that day and tell us what happened? Yeah, so it was really an amazing weekend when I look back on it because my son and I had traveled up from Houston, Texas, where we were living at the time, to watch a friend of ours that had qualified to run in the Boston Marathon. And it was our first time ever in the city of Boston. It also happened to be my 26th birthday weekend. And so I remember catching a Red Sox game and touring the city, and we were all packed up and ready to go back home as soon as the marathon concluded on that Monday. Day, And we had started out at the 17 mile marker. We were tracking our runner on an app on our phones. And my son was holding up a sign and cheering and standing on the fence and waving at all the runners. And one person in our group of about nine told us to make our way to the finish line so that we could see our runner cross. And we thought it was a great idea. And we all went down there ready to see her cross. And uh, that's when everything kind of went crazy. Do you remember the bomb going off or were you just in shock? 
I remember everything, which is one of the hardest parts of that day. So we had gotten to the finish line and we were in a great spot. We were right in the middle of the action. And I remember telling my son because he was getting really bored. And I often make the joke that when you watch a marathon, you end up running the same marathon. And so we had been trying to keep Uh up with our runner all day long. And Noah just grew very bored. He was tugging at my clothes and asking when we were going to leave. And so I had told him to sit down on my feet and play in the rocks like he was a scientist. And of course, there Mm. were no rocks because we were on asphalt. But to a five-year-old, that was a cool thing to do. So Noah had taken his place on my feet with his back up against my shins. And that's where he was when a bomb in a backpack went off three feet behind us. So when the bomb went off, are you okay talking about what it felt like and what happened next? Sure. So what happened next is it's a very vivid memory for me. And that's one of the hardest parts of this whole thing. I remember being kind of thrown and not being able to lift anything except my head. And when I did, Mm. I kind of panned around to see other people's body parts on the ground. Mm. And they weren't even attached to them anymore. There were nails and ball bearings and BBs and everything that these brothers could pack into these pressure cooker bombs. My leg was on fire. I was in a pool of my own blood. I mean, it was just this war scene. And not only did I remember saying that and every moment, but my five-year-old son did. But the, the amazing part of this was that I laid back and I said a prayer. I said, God, if this is it for me, take me. And this is all in my head. And because I'm really thinking like, I'm I'm taking my last breath. I'm going to die right here on this pavement. Mm -hmm. And as, as soon as I said that prayer, it was within just seconds almost. I looked over and I could see my son, my little boy right there in the arms of a police officer. And I could tell that his leg had been hurt, but nowhere to the extent that I was. And so it was my confirmation almost that he was okay, but I didn't know. I really thought that I was going to die. And you knew that a bomb had gone off because you heard it. You saw the nails, you saw the BB. So you, you knew what it was. I knew that it was something bad and evil. I didn't know it was a bomb at that time, and my eardrums had been blown out. And so all I knew was from the looks of of people's faces and just the scene in front of me, I knew something really bad had happened. I just couldn't place what it was at the time. How long was it before an ambulance came and took you to a hospital? It was very soon after, and it's really amazing because in these different scenes, you can really see the miracles in them too. And I remember, you know, being placed onto a gurney, the gentleman that tied the tourniquet around my leg probably saved my life. And all of the people that were injured were able to get to a hospital that day because the ambulances could get us there or, you know, whatever mode of transportation. And all of the major hospitals were within a certain mile radius. So everyone got to one of the best trauma hospitals in the area. Mm. 
And it was just really amazing because when I look back on that, you know, yes, you see this horrific scene, but you also see the first responders and the innocent civilians and everyone that rushed in to save us, not knowing if a third or a fourth or a fifth bomb was getting ready to go off. They just knew that they needed Mm -hmm. to help. Isn't it remarkable how people come in to help almost unconsciously. They just run towards you. Now, was the person who stopped the bleeding or tied off your leg a civilian or was it an EMT? I believe it was an EMT, but I also know that there were civilians around helping too. So it it's just, it was really a beautiful thing to see because it we truly saw you know, the human spirit alive and well that day. Because yes, you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people will run towards danger in hopes of helping someone else. And it was just truly remarkable. Yeah. What, What happened to your son? Did he come with you? So we actually got separated in taken to two different hospitals, which that's another blessing in all of this because I got placed into a medically induced coma right away. They took me into emergency surgery and then put me into a coma. So by the time that I was waking up, my little boy was coming to visit me. And had I known that he had been taken to a completely separate hospital and all of that, I feel like I would have just gone crazy and it would have been too much for me to handle. But I also felt like this was God's way of allowing me to rest until my little boy could come and see me. And so Noah had a cut to his bone on his right leg that they were able to stitch up. He had a piece of shrapnel graze the back of his head. So he had a small little bald spot. But Noah is now 12 years old in the seventh grade. And because he was sitting down on my feet, I took everything in the back of the legs, the torso and the left hand. And that's what shielded my little boy and ultimately saved his life. Wow. Does he remember the event? He does. He did for a long time recall very vivid details. So he would ask me about certain people there and what they were wearing and all of these different things that were really scary because I knew what I had seen. And it was just so heart wrenching to know that my son was experiencing those same dramatic details in his own mind. But now Noah is, it's been almost seven years and we got Noah into specialized trauma treatment very early on. And that was really our saving grace with this because since Noah was little, you know, he's been able to have that therapy and have that time. And so the, the more he's grown, the less he does recall and remember. And now it's more of a story to him rather than something that he is emotionally attached to. Well, you both had PTSD. And first of all, it's really encouraging for me, and I'm sure all the parents out there, to, to know that kids can heal from it, but that you need to get the right resources in place right away. How did you deal with your PTSD? So I didn't realize how badly I had been affected emotionally until 56 days into this whole experience when I finally got to come home from the hospital. I couldn't go to my own house. I had to move back in with my parents. And on the car ride home from the hospital, 
I just remember thinking that every single person was out to get us. I thought people were going to run into us. I didn't want my mom to pull over for any reason, even to stop and get gas or anything, because I just wanted to get to the house because I thought that my entire life and hers was in danger. And when I got home, my little boy ran out. I was in a wheelchair. My dad was wheeling me in and he ran out to me and he whispered in my ear. He said, don't worry, mom, we're never leaving this house again. And it was so heartbreaking as a mom to hear that from my five-year-old son and to know that his innocence was completely stripped away from him. And it became this trying to figure out help for him. But then also I had to figure out what I what was going on with me because at night I'm laying in bed questioning God for even sparing my life in the first place. You know, I just, it was so unrecognizable because we lost any sense of normalcy that we had ever had on Boylston Street that Mm -hmm. day. And doctors are putting me together piece by piece. I'm having surgeries every other day and they're questioning whether or not they can save my left leg. My right leg was in question, my left hand. So life as I knew it, life as Noah, my son knew it, was completely gone. And we had to figure out- Yes, yes, in a moment. Are you, I mean, it's a silly question because I think you're never fully over PTSD, but how, how are you doing now? So I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. And I know that it's because I've been relentless in trying to find the right therapy and the right treatment for Noah and for myself. And what that did for me was it allowed me to see how many children and families were suffering with their own traumatic experiences and not getting the help that was afforded to Noah and I, because I feel Mm -hmm. like with such a big event, everyone is reaching out to help and, and they want to do whatever they can. And so, you know, we were very fortunate in the beginning to have a lot of different therapies, you know, that we could try out and, and different things that we could do. But I know that that's not regular life. That's not really how it is. And so there's all of these different things that people are experiencing. And nine times out of 10, if you're trying to pay your bills and you don't have that extra money to afford, you know, therapy or something like that, it just kind of gets pushed by the wayside. And so we've become huge mental health advocates. And I really feel like it's God giving us a purpose in all of this far greater than we could ever have imagined. I bet. When you moved back home with your parents, had you had a healthy, good relationship with them when you were growing up before the accident? So my mom and I have always been extremely close. When I was little, my biological father was an evangelist and he traveled all around the world preaching and they said he was just going to be huge and he was getting very, very big in his career, but he would come home from those trips and he would beat my mother and I. And so I had a very skewed vision of what it, what Christianity and, and what God's love was, because here I saw this 
unbelievable faith in my mom, but my father was someone that I looked at as this monster almost because, you know, he also pastored at a local church. And so my, my younger sisters and I would sit in the front pew with our matching Mm. dresses and our bows and, you know, clapping for this wonderful man at the pulpit. And then as soon as those church doors closed, it was a different story. So you had two, you saw two fathers. I did. You saw, you saw the father that was putting on the airs of being this really holy, godly man, and then you saw the monster side, did that make you feel crazy? It did because I, well, especially because my dad was very good at being a manipulator and, you know, just, it made me question what was wrong with me and why could I not make him love me in the way that he was supposed to? And so it became all about the guilt that I felt for not being good enough, like a good enough daughter for him. And there must be something wrong because there's no way it could be him. And I carried that on throughout my my life. And I look back on relationships that I've had and just various things. And I know that that's what what it stemmed from. And so when I was in this all kind of makes sense in in going forward with our PTSD and trauma because when I sat down at a therapy office with a therapist for the bombing, then what she told me, she said, "Wait a minute. She's like, we have to go back to your childhood mm-hmm. and work from there before we can even get to the bombing." And I yeah. was like, Oh, wow. So my PTSD was back when I was a child. And what the bombing did was kind of just put the icing on that cake and and make me live it right now. Often, one trauma or major life change will trigger past trauma. So really, as you went through that, it probably felt like you were traumatized twice. When you move back into the house with your mother and and your dad, that must have been hard for you emotionally. Well, so my biological father, I no longer have any contact with. He and I talked, I think, for the last time when I was 11 or 12, and my mom ended up getting remarried. And so my stepfather adopted us. And so when I call someone, my dad, I actually call my that my dad, my stepfather who adopted us, my dad, because that's who was at my graduation. That's who, you know, has been through all of this with me and all of life's major trials and, and obstacles. Are you close with him? I am. Um, I, I think that it took me a little bit to really trust him because of everything that we had been through. And it was hard to allow another man to love my mom because she had just been through so much, both physically and emotionally. And I was really scared for her. I think my sisters were really scared for her too. I have two, well now three younger sisters, but 
um, my sister Hannah, the, the middle child, she ended up um, being very, very argumentative with my dad when he first came in the picture. And I remember she would sit on the stairs at the house and not let them go on dates. She would refuse to get in the yeah. car and like all of these yeah. things. And looking back on it, that was me too, just not in that way. My personality is a little different from her. So I didn't express my concerns in the same way that she did. I think that's fairly common. Everybody Mm -hmm. handles an abusive parent very differently. You know, some strike out and argue. Some kids swallow everything and just sort of go away, if you will. So I, you know, I think that's fairly common. So you are not in contact with your dad right now, correct? No, I'm not. When you went home to live with your stepdad and your mother, how long did you live with them? I lived with them for almost a year before I could fully function in the role of of mom and caretaker and just me in general. And that was really hard because I had been very independent almost too much. I was a little stubborn. And so to have to lay in a bed, I couldn't walk. I couldn't even wash my hair on my own. I was so Mm. weak. When I got sent home from the hospital, I weighed 79 pounds and I'm Mm -hmm. almost 5'9". And so I really looked like someone that was a a patient that was sent home to die. It's what I felt like. I had, I'd never been that low before in my life. And you had your son there and you couldn't take care of him. That must have been excruciating for a mother. It was, it was something that it's just, it, it's heart wrenching even now to think about because I couldn't do anything for him, but Noah was mm-hmm. so sweet and kind because he would come in my room and I would just be laying on the bed and he would bring a book or he would bring a puzzle or he would just tell me a story. And he just laid there with me at five years old. He understood that I couldn't do anything other than lay in the yeah. bed and talk to him. And that was enough for him at that time. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Rebecca Gregory. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Wasn't it a blessing that your biologic father wasn't in the picture then? And and I say, good for your mom for getting you kids out of that situation and herself, because that is terrible to, to have that abuse go on and on that your biologic father wasn't around and your stepdad was there because they could sort of break that traumatic cycle so that Noah didn't have to endure what you did. Yes, it was a huge blessing. And I'm so proud of my mom. And I, I try to tell her that all the time because what she went through when I was younger is something that I always want to remember and and just you know, tell her that she's so brave and so courageous because there's so many times where someone's in a terrible, dangerous situation and doesn't get out. And I fully believe that if she hadn't gotten out when she did, she would have gotten really hurt or one of us. And my mom just wouldn't let that happen. But it was nice to know that Noah had people around him that were going to take care of him no matter what. Our support system was just amazing. And even down to my little sister, Allie, who 
my mom got pregnant with when I was 15. And so Allie and I are, are very close. I mean, she would wash my hair for me and she would play with Noah and they really grew up together. And so it's just, you really find out the love, the unconditional love that your family has for you when you can do nothing. I was 26 mm-hmm. years old and couldn't get out of the bed. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> And isn't it, it's so biblical, but it's so painful that when you go through the hardship like that in your life, you learn the great and deep life-changing questions that you've had, that the lessons, sorry, you know, you learn the life-changing lessons. And wouldn't it be easy if we could learn those same lessons when we're happy? I want to back up a little bit. Um, you, of course, you've written about all of this in a wonderful book, Taking My Life Back, My Story of Faith, Determination, and Surviving the Boston Marathon Bombing. And I think it's a book that everyone should read because it talks about so many different levels of hurt and pain. But there was a time uh, two years after the bombing that you actually faced your accuser in court. What was that like? So that was one of the hardest chapters, I think, of my life this far. Uh, And it was interesting because that happened right when I got my amputation done on my left Mm -hmm. leg. So they had tried to save my leg for 18 months. And I was on 37 different medications just to make it through the day. I was in a bed or in a wheelchair, and my life was just a blur at that time because it was like I was just spinning in circles. Nothing was getting better. I was still going through all of these operations, and I was just like, something's got to give. And so finally, I, I had the talk with my doctor, and he had tears running down his face because I said, we've got to cut off what what's holding me back because all this leg mm-hmm. is doing is holding me back from living my life. And my leg hadn't been my leg in a very long time. And I had always been okay with the, the difficult decision of amputation, but my doctors had wanted to try and try and try to save it. And I respected that decision, but he and I both knew that it was time. And so I had that surgery and then in rehab, when I finally got to the rehabilitation clinic and I was, you know, getting over the, the fact that I just had my left leg amputated below the knee, the U.S. attorney and the FBI agent came into my rehab room and said, by the way, we need you to testify in the trial of the remaining bomber. So going back in general was going to be the hardest thing, but having to do it and having to find out about it right after I had made such a crucial decision, a life-altering decision, was just, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is a movie. Like, how is, how is it this is my a movie? Life? Yeah. But the, yes. the amazing part about it, and, and I think that it, it was almost like I needed it to move on in my life and close mm-hmm. that chapter because I went and I testified in the trial. At first, I didn't want to do it. I, I just, I almost refused. And then the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it, I felt like God was saying, you know, you're a vital piece to this puzzle. And if I could say anything in, in terms of to the jury or to the judge 
about what had happened and help them to make such a hard decision, then I felt like it was the responsibility of me and and the others affected by it to do. And it was it was difficult. I mean, to to be that close to the biggest enemy of your life is just something that you just don't even think about having to ever do. When you first came in and saw him, well, you hadn't seen him at the bombing, correct? Right. Okay. So when you first saw him, did that cause you to go back and and relive some of that? Or did you feel distance enough from him that it didn't pull you back in time? So the first time I saw him was the first time I became angry at the situation. Because when I saw him, I saw him in a courtroom of people, a lot victims, families, other survivors, people that had gone through the worst parts of their lives at the hand of this man and his brother. And here he is leaning back in his chair, cracking jokes with his attorney, fiddling with his pencil. At one point, he didn't even acknowledge the jury. He didn't stand up for them, and they physically had to make him stand up. And so here's a guy who has absolutely no remorse for what he's done. And in fact, he's almost just gawking at us. And it was hard. That was something that was so difficult to comprehend because it was almost like he didn't do enough damage. They wanted to do more and he was proud. They wanted to kill you. Yes. He was proud of what he had tried to destroy. And that just is salt in the wound. You know, if he would have come to you and and said, you know, please forgive me, I'm sorry, but, but it didn't. So I have to ask you, we're we're running out of time. We need to close pretty soon. But a lot of women, and maybe myself included, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about how I would have responded. You witnessed abuse at the hands of your father, who who knows what kind of faith he had, and if that happened from a, a preacher's mouth, who represented God. Um, that would be hard enough. But then you were traumatized by another man. How is it that you can love God the Father? Because I think there are a lot of women who would have said, no, thanks. No, thanks. (laughs) You know, I don't believe in God. When I hear the word Father, I'm not interested. So, how did that experience keep you away from feeling like that and actually build your faith? So the one thing that I always go back to is that humans will always fail us, but God never will. And there have been so many points throughout my journey that I have been at my very lowest and I have still seen God's mercy and his love and grace. And I feel like my entire life has prepared me for what I'm doing now. You know, in those in the midst of going through PTSD and recognizing my own trauma and seeing that it went back to my childhood, what that showed me was a need 
for the funding for other children and families to go through the therapy that ultimately saved my life and saved my son's life that we've received healing from. And so we started a foundation, Rebecca's Angels, to do just that. And I feel like there's so many times in our lives where we just see the problems, but when we look at it in the right perspective and and through the right eyes, we can also see the blessings. And in the Bible, it says, we will have trials, we will have tribulations, but all of this is temporary. I became disabled at 26 years old, but I know one day I am going to be whole again. And that's what I cling to my faith in a bigger plan and God's love for all of us. And so I can go through this. We can all go through this because what our promise is for when we get to heaven, that's enough. That's enough to keep going for me. That this is, this is a blip on our, on our timeline, on our life timeline. It's hard to remember that. Rebecca, I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to connect with you, learn more about you, read your book, Taking My Life Back. You have a podcast. Can you close us out by telling how people can find you and what is the work that you're doing now? So people can find me through my website at RebeccaMGregory.com. I have a podcast that I just started called The Rebecca Gregory Show, Finding Joy on My Last Leg. And our foundation is Rebecca's Angels Foundation. It's RebeccaAngels.org. And we provide mental health treatment to children and families that have experienced trauma. And I would just ask our listeners, please, please, please donate to that because trauma in kids' lives that we hear about, this is the tip of the iceberg. And and I see so much trauma in kids. Maybe they didn't watch their mother's leg get blown off, but trauma's trauma in a child's in a child's eyes. I want to tell everybody your name is R-E-B-E-K-M Gregory, not R-E-B-E-C-C-A. So Rebecca uh, with a K. Rebecca This has just been one of my most favorite podcasts. You're a remarkable woman. Um, You have a lot of remarkable things to teach every one of us. And I just thank you so much for being the person that you are. Well, thank you for being who you are too, Dr. Meg. You're someone that I have looked up to for a while. And it just, it's really amazing to be on here with you. So thank you so much. Points to ponder. One, unresolved pain will resurface when present trauma occurs. You know, many of us seem to overreact when we experience a certain type of pain or trauma. This is because the new trauma can trigger old pain that feels very similar, particularly if that old pain isn't resolved. And that's why it's terribly important to seek help and counseling when trauma occurs where you seem to overreact or react differently than you do when other traumatic experiences occur. Two, PTSD is a serious issue and needs to be dealt with. Many adults who suffered from it are hesitant to get help because they feel they should be able to handle it. Other people handle past traumas and they should be able to too. They feel that if they get help, then they're ungrateful that they survived the trauma. This happens frequently when um, a, a 
girl or boy is with friends and many of the friends die, say in a car accident, and she or he didn't, um, sometimes they can feel very guilty about surviving. And this isn't true. They shouldn't feel this way. And someone needs to help them work through it. Remember, PTSD can manifest itself in many different ways in people, particularly kids. As I always say, often emotional or mental illness in kids comes out sideways. Three, if your child has been traumatized, get him help. When children struggle emotionally, they don't act like adults do. We may become depressed, withdrawn, want to sleep a lot, or just fly off the handle at certain things. Kids don't always respond that way when they've been traumatized or depressed. Kids will often get irritable. They'll start yelling at somebody. They may stop doing their schoolwork. They may start flunking their schoolwork. They may change the groups of friends that they have. They may dress differently. So it's really important that if you see dramatic different changes in your child to suspect that something is going on underneath and they need help. There are many times a child is traumatized and they don't want to tell their parents. If they're bullied at school, if there's been sexual assault, kids feel ashamed and they don't even want to tell their parents. So watch their behavior and do a little digging to see what's beneath it. If you see things in your child that you just are confused about and your child won't go to a counselor, reach out for help. Try Rebecca's Angels and contact them over the phone. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD. Or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Today, I have a question from Simona. Dear Dr. Meeker, I have two kids, a three and a half year old boy and a seven month old girl. It's a lot of tension between my husband and I on how to raise our kids. I tend to be strict. I like to follow a schedule and be on time. I grew up without a television, so I like to limit my son's screen time. My husband believes that I want to raise robots and then I force the kids to do what I want. We fight a lot because I believe it's good for the kids to have a routine to follow. But I want peace in my house. Please give me advice on how to compromise on this. Well, Simona, your situation is very common. Uh, Most parents parent very differently. Usually one is stricter than the other. And it's really important that the two of you get on the same page with one another because you don't want your kids eventually to side with one of you or the other. Kids will often listen to one parent and not the other. Also, kids will learn to pit one parent against the other and get in between your marriage, and that's a very bad situation. So you know how important it is. Also, negotiate with your husband. Tell him that you may well be too strict, even though you feel you aren't. Tell him that. And you don't want to raise robots. You want to raise your kids to be who they are. Tell him that there are times when he parents better than you do and times when you will probably parent better than he does. Then tell him that you want to come to the middle with him, that you'll honor his top two or three rules regarding discipline, and you'd like him to do the same for you. So let him tell you what he wants in his parenting first. If you go in there and just say, stop, I don't like what you're doing, I disagree with you, you're going to wreck the kids, so on and so forth, he'll never listen. 
Tell him there are times when he parents better than you and times when you parent better than him. Then tell him that you want to come to the middle and that you will honor his top two to three rules and you'd like him to do the same with you. For instance, and get very specific here, television time. You don't like television, but you know that he thinks it's okay. So compromise on the amount of time you think it's okay for your kids to watch TV, maybe an hour per day. So you need to give a little bit and he needs to give a little bit. But if you ask him to tell you what he wants first, he's much more likely to comply with you. Tell him you'll work harder on giving the kids leeway in certain situations if he agrees to discipline them for agreed upon behaviors. Again, be very specific about the types of situations, uh, bedtime, television, eating, certain behaviors. So you really need to talk them through in detail and let him know that you're going to uh, come to the middle and agree. Most men do very well with negotiation if they feel respected. And my guess is that your husband doesn't feel respected now because you're constantly criticizing him for what he does and not doing things your way. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so keep sending them in to me. You can email me any question to ask Meg at megmeekermd.com. Again, ask Meg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Rebecca Gregory, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Rebecca, go to Rebecca M. Gregory. That's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-M Gregory. Com. There you can find out how to book Rebecca for a speaking engagement. Once again, Rebecca M. Gregory. Com. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram. So let's recap my points to ponder. One unresolved pain will resurface when present trauma occurs. Two, PTSD is a serious issue and needs to be dealt with. And three, if your child has been traumatized in any way, get him help. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.